are now tuned into the Lunch Break Podcast, where true sales pros go to tell their stories. This is the Lunch Break Podcast. My name is James Bodden, and today I have somebody who is absolutely committed to being great in sales. Sam Ingram is somebody that I connected with on LinkedIn. And after kind of viewing his profile and talking with him, I knew I needed to have him on the show. Sam is a sales professional from, and I love the way he puts this, one of the most isolated capital cities on the planet, Perth, Australia. And and having been in individual contributor roles for B2B sales for the better part of 10 years. He now heads up sales, customer success, and marketing as the customer growth manager for venture-backed startup Xpeed. And prior to his job now, he worked for one of the fastest growing SaaS companies in APAC, Health Engine, where he was one of the number one sales reps over his three-year tenure. So for all of those reasons, I'm super excited to have Sam here. Thanks for joining me today, man. No worries, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, been following uh, since since episode one, so really, uh, really cool to be on the other side of this. Mm. Well, I appreciate you tuning in, man, and and let's go ahead and kick this thing off the same way that I kick off all of these podcasts. Sam, tell us how you got started in sales. So I, I wish I had a cool story around that, but to be honest, like a lot of people, I just kind of fell into it. Um, in Australia, uh, we have the, I guess, luxury, I don't know if it's a luxury, of, of being able to, to finish school uh, when when we want to, like not graduate, but just kind of drop out. And that was me, like I just, you know, I was there and I was a an average student and uh, like I was pretty lazy, to be honest. So I just thought I, my, my skills would be better used elsewhere. So I quit. Um, I studied music in a tertiary um, organization. And uh, while I was studying music, I, I needed to make some money. Yeah. So got started in sales. And uh, my first job was, uh, I was 17. And uh, I was one of those people that like flag you down outside shopping centers and sell you raffle tickets and stuff like that. Um, on a commission only basis. So it was a, it was a hard grind for me at the start, man. Ooh, man, that, you know, those, those types of sales, like there's different levels of sales jobs and that type of sales job has to be like one of the hardest ones because it, 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 for, and it makes me laugh because I think about like the B2B inside salesperson that sits around and sends emails all day, how drastically different that sales role is from somebody that's out there like on the streets going up to people, you know, physically interrupting people and then working on commission only. I mean, those, that is the type of job where you can really cut your teeth, man. I can only imagine uh, being your first introduction into the sales world, you know, you, you, you probably saw a lot of crazy things and, and had a good opportunity to, like I said, you know, cut your teeth. Yeah. You're not wrong, man. It was, uh, it was really hard work. Like whilst I, I only did it for like five or six months uh, that, which is actually uh, a super long time <laughs> to do something like yeah, that every day. Yeah, you're right, man. It, it, like, I'm really grateful for, for what, it, uh, what it taught me. I, I learned a lot from it, um, mainly about resilience and uh, mm. just 
getting rid of that fear of looking stupid. Um, so that cold call reluctance that a lot of people get, I don't, I don't really get it anymore um, through having that experience. So I'm really grateful for it. And then, you know, for, throughout my career, I've taken a couple of gambles on myself. Like one was actually getting into B2B sales. Um, I, I took less money for more opportunity. Uh, I spent some time as a business consultant. Um, again, like I had no right being a business consultant, but I had some really good mentors and, and I'm a, you know, pretty hardworking um, guy and a, like pretty studious about things that I'm passionate about. Yeah. Uh, put, put, put all those things together and it's, it's put me in a pretty good position where I am now. Yeah. I think it's interesting because, you know, when you start out in sales, especially when your first job in sales is not glamorous, right? Because the retail world, the door-to-door world, what you were doing, that's not glamorous. And I think the folks that I know that got their start in those arenas always seem to have such a thick layer of like gratitude about kind of where they come from, the shit they had to deal with. And then, you know, when you get, because I can completely relate, Sam, like I lived that same thing. Like, retail sales, 12 hour days, bell to bell, six days a week, you know, never seeing my family, eating shitty food, you know, I mean, all of that. And um, then going into like the B2B world, it's like, dude, this is so much better. And so there's like this thick layer of gratitude that kind of comes along with these sales reps that are like kind of gritty you know, and kind of have, have worked in, in, in the hardest possible sales situations. And then when they get into, you know, this nine to five, sitting at a desk and making cold calls or sending emails and getting to kind of do what you want during the day. Uh, yeah, there's, I, I think that's a huge advantage, I guess is what I'm trying to say that that gratitude is like a huge advantage, because you're not going to bitch and complain about things that, you know, Johnny college boy that just got that just graduated and this is his first job ever is complaining that they don't have cold beer in the fridge you know (laughs) yeah yeah it's um yeah it's really funny like my my passion around like what I love about sales has changed over the years and you know where I am now is very much like like you said you know it's it's been molded from where I've come from so like we were talking about just before we came on I'm recruiting at the moment one of the things that I am super passionate about having worked in good and bad sales organizations is creating an environment where, where people can be super successful on whatever they deem is success. So if that's growth, if that's making a shitload of money, whatever it is, like my job and what I want to do is create an environment where they can do that. Yeah. And I, that's why I think sales leaders that have been true sales practitioners like yourself that's the value. That's such a large part of the value that comes along with a leader that's got your experience and your background, especially when it comes to hiring and growing a team, because you're able to kind of see through like the superficial stuff, right? So like, yeah, maybe this guy has a killer CV and he, you know, got, had all the right connections to get all the nice job titles. But then you've got this guy or gal over here 
who, you know, has been a waitress for seven years, but would absolutely jump at an opportunity to join your organization and would work their tail off, right? So, and, and you having that experience allows you to kind of, you know, see through that. So yeah, I mean, talk about, you know, as you have taken these risks in your career, like moving into B2B sales, taking less money, you know, like, let's take that for example, because I think that's interesting. What, what motivated you to do that? Because, you know, sales guys, we're supposed to all be about our money, right? And making more money. So what, what where, where was your head at when you were kind of making that decision? So uh, if it's okay, like I'll speak to where I am now and yeah. just kind of how I ended up there. Yeah. So but prior to Expedia, I was at Health Engine and, and through a series of circumstances, I got made redundant. Um, like shit happens, uh, you know, I'm not one to sit here and go, woe is me. So what yeah, I did after that, everybody, yep. that's it, man. Like no one would be complaining if I outgrew the company and moved on. So like, yeah, yeah, whatever it happens. So I, I made a list of the things that were really important to me in my next role in the company that I worked for. And they were um, culture, growth opportunities, and uh, personal and professional development. Um, and I made a list of like top five companies that I wanted to work for. And two of those top five companies flew me to Sydney and actually made me offers um, to come and join their team. And I got this, this, this email and a job I applied for in Perth, you know, I'm, you know, I was, uh, lived here all my life, um, but all the SaaS companies are over in all the decent, you know, companies coming out of the Valley, expanding into APAC, they're all in Sydney. Yeah. Uh, so there's not much here. Um, and I found this SaaS company that was looking for, for their first sales hire, their first individual contributor, their first frontline sales rep. And I threw my hat into the ring for that. Um, just seeing what, what came of it. And I went in, uh, I loved the, the CEO's passion about putting the customer first. Like that is so important to me. Um, it is what separates the, the, great sales reps from the good ones are the ones that focus on producing the best outcomes for their customer. And I, I turned down those offers with those companies that I wanted to work for as per my list and took a gamble on this startup that I had never heard of before called Xpeed. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's really paying dividends. Like I, I am in a position now where um, I, I'm able to, to build a team on, on my terms, build a sales organization on my terms, have uh, try and build something that, that works harmoniously between marketing, sales, and customer success. Not that, that siloed organization that you get um, a lot of the time. That, uh, that was kind of what was in, more important to me, was, was being able to, to leave my, my fingerprints on something and really see my impact on a day-to-day -day basis. That's why I took less money and gambled on this startup that I had never heard of. No, and I think that story and that journey is very important because you, you did some things that I think more salespeople need to do right down the list. Like when you get let go from a job or you leave a job, wh why would you start job searching again without clearly defining kind of what you want next? And I've done that. I mean, I'm not 
sitting on a high horse by any means. Like there were years where I was just like going, finding whatever, you know, and not really it's thinking about it. Look, yeah, yeah. And so uh, the decision that you made to kind of, okay, like I'm going to really think about this. And then I love that, man. You, you got what you wanted. You got those two companies to respond to you. But then that piece about risk, and this is something that I personally have been finding out over like the last like nine months since I've been at my current role, right? Because it's a startup, we're building a sales organization. And, you know, anytime you do that, it's a risk. And for a long time, man, in my sales career, I was scared to take risks. I was afraid to switch jobs. There were, you know, a couple of years where I was in a role where I knew I shouldn't be in it. I was unhappy, but I was scared. I was scared that I wasn't going to make as much money somewhere else. I was scared that I wasn't going to have an opportunity to grow or scared that I wouldn't find anything else. And so all of those things kind of can really handicap you in your sales career. But if you can recognize that and start turning that on its head, the results are that's the benefit of a sales career, right? So yeah. kind of the, yeah. the scary side can paralyze you. And there, you know, there's lots of instability with being a salesperson and your check's never the same, all that stuff. But the real benefit is the ability to create a career like you're doing. And, yeah. uh, you know, the idea of like leaving your fingerprint on something. Yeah, man. I mean, I think a lot of us get wrapped up in the money, but when you start leaving your fingerprints on things in the industry, the money comes, man. You know, I mean, that's, you're talking reputation and legacy at that point. So I love the way you're thinking about it. Yeah, that's it. Like what, what I want to do is, is build a, a team of people that do so well, they outgrow me and they move on to bigger and better things. And, and I, like, I'm able to, to help be a part of that. Yeah, uh, it sounds corny, hallmark bullshit, but uh, no. I 100% mean it. No, that's what that really is, is that's next level sales stuff. What, what I'm starting to realize is I think there's a couple of different ways to look at sales. There's to me, there's an outside way of looking at it that non salespeople kind of see salespeople as right. Those, all those typical stereotypes. And then there's the way that you look at sales when you first get into sales. Oh, I need to be like super aggressive. I need to be a hustler. I need to grind. I need, it's all about me. It's all about my commission check. It's all about me, me, me. And then if you stay in it long enough and get good at it, you start realizing to your point earlier, actually I need to, the customer experience is more important. Right. So that like, I, I feel like the further away you get from being egotistical as a salesperson, the, the, the closer you are to black belt level almost, you know, it's like yeah. the, yeah. the, the young salespeople are always the ones that care more about their commission check than anything else. And yeah. the seasoned ones are the ones that are thinking like you, like, how can I give, how can I make somebody else better? The furthest away that I can get from being egotistical is really where you start seeing next level sales leadership and excellence, in my opinion. So I love that. And, and, you know, as you're on this journey, talk to us about the process. Uh, you know, like you said, you've had a busy week this week, like with hiring and stuff. So how's that going? You know, being somebody who deeply entrenched in the industry, sales practitioner, 
individual contributor. Now you're building a sales team. Talk to us about that experience and kind of what you're finding, what you like about it. Uh, what I like about it is, is seeing kind of the transformation of, of the sales profession as a whole in Australia. Um, so it's, it's a little bit different down here. Um, it's like sales is always seen as like kind of something you do uh, rather than a career or a profession. And Got that's it. like not just by people outside, but pe like a lot of people inside um, are just doing sales. Like they're not being sales professionals. They're not dedicated to their craft. They're not working on it. And, and what I'm seeing and what I'm kind of getting more exposure to um, as part of this recruitment process is there's a lot more sales professionals in Australia than there was like five years ago. And uh, they're getting younger. Like I get, a, I get a lot of resumes from kids just like, you know, 18, 19, 20. And like, I respect it so much, man. Like more, more than I can put into words, but even if they're not a fit, like even if it's, yeah, they're, they're not right for where we are now, I'll always reply to them. I always say, you know, appreciate what you're trying to do. If there's ever any advice that you want, um, hit me up. Like I, I want, I want to see these, these, uh, these kids get into it and really carve out careers for it. I, I heard John Barrett is talking about he, when he writes a book, he wants to write a kid's book about getting people, get kids into sales. And that's, that's so cool um, to kind of see the, the back end of that and what that can turn into. Yeah, no, I think I, I've seen kind of the same thing with some of the folks that have come on the podcast, right? These kids that are right out of high school or, you know, college and, and just starting in their career, but God, they are light years ahead of where I was when I started, like thinking about the way they think about it, the professionalism, all of that stuff. So you know, that's a very interesting thing. You, you kind of getting this frontline view of this new wave of, of sales professionals. And, you know, honestly, Sam, I don't know if it's all that different here. I think there's loads of people that are just doing sales. I, I probably spent the first, hmm, I'd say three or four years of my sales career and never worked with another sales professional. Everybody else I worked with was just ended up there somehow trying to get a check. You know, nobody had any sort of, you know, idea about making it into a career or anything like that. And, but it is great, right? And it is, it, it gives me like really just a lot of faith in the future about kind of where this profession of sales is going because I think you've got a lot of great leaders that have been around for a long time and, you know, maybe some of those folks that have some of those old ways of thinking are slowly coming around to kind of how it has to be now. And then there's people like you and I, right, that, have, that aren't brand new to sales, have been doing it about 10 years and have seen this transformation. And now, you know, folks like you are getting into leadership roles and able to build out these sales teams in a much different way than they used to be, right? There's... Uh, I love the fact that you're you're really looking at these candidates, right? You're really kind of looking, and, and even if they're not a fit right now, you're taking the time to just let them know, like, hey, keep grinding and keep going. That's huge, man. That's huge. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's super important because I like I, I I just look at uh, where I was when I was in their shoes, and looking for work is hard. Like you get rejected. It's it's kind of like you know cold calling early days, right? Like yeah. you don't really know what you're doing. You just kind of dial in and hoping, and and you know if you if you if you don't know where you're going wrong, like you just go the wrong way enthusiastically, and I hate seeing that. Um, but, but to your point about like kind of really considering candidates and stuff like that, for, for me, uh, the, the cultural aspect, like, are they going to fit culturally is so much more important than aptitude. You can train aptitude. You can't train culture and, and the interest on cultural debt is just too high. Like I will sooner do the job myself than hire an asshole to fill a role. Yeah, no, and and kudos to you for that because I've been in some sales orgs that don't subscribe to that method of thinking and it's miserable. It's uh, you know, I saw Gary Vee made a post the other day about, you know, these cancerous type employees that are just like yeah. killing your culture and you're keeping them around because they're bringing in revenue. And it's this such a backwards way to look at it. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I think for a while when I first, I mean, culture wasn't anything I thought about when I first got into sales, right? I mean, it was just, didn't even think about it. But, but as I kind of went through and have worked for some, you know, different places and seen what it looks like when there is a good culture, what it looks like when there isn't a good culture, it's very obvious how important it is to have a strong positive culture, especially for sales teams, because so much of this game is like emotional and mental and you're dealing, you know, ups and downs and getting pissed off and people getting pissed off at you. And, you, yeah. need, you know, you need that backbone of like culture and support to make sure, you know, everybody doesn't lose their damn minds. So how are you, how are you looking for that? How are you, you know, what are the things you're, you're looking for? Um, because that's, kind of, I can imagine kind of a tough thing to do, right? Because obviously everybody's putting on their best version of themselves, hopefully in an interview, right? So are yeah. there any ways that you're able to kind of really determine if somebody's going to be a good fit or how are you tackling that? Yeah. So, uh, same as what I got made redundant. Like I, I made a list of what it was that, that was important for me when hiring. What yeah. are the traits that I'm looking for? And um, how, how can I measure them? Because like, I don't want to take a, uh, you know, a, 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 a cross your fingers and hope strategy with hiring. <laughs> like I said, the interest on cultural debt is too high. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to be able to quantify what good looks like, right? So I made a list of, of the traits that I was looking for and things like, you know, coachability, um, are they adaptable? Are they curious? Uh, are they ingenious? Can they solve problems? Just yeah. things like that. And then, then I made a list of like questions that I can ask. And it was always like kind of two or three questions um, so that, you know, if they, if they give you some kind of interview persona answer on the first one, yeah. you can kind of follow up and probe. I just want to create an environment like where, where it's safe for people to be themselves. Um, yeah in an interview that's that's really important for me because 
uh, like it's going to come out in the wash one way or another. So I'd rather find out sooner rather than later if, if it's not a fit. And, and I do that um, by the, the same, the same way that I had, a, that I've had a lot of success over my career. And that's just being kind of 100% my, myself. Like the way I talk with customers, the way I talk with um, candidates, the way I talk with my, my colleagues is the same as I'm talking to you now, man. Like yeah. I am just myself. And, and some people flip out about that. Cause I, 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 you know, I'm kind of casual in the way I speak and I'm my last role. I was dealing with, with doctors and specialists and stuff like that. This role I'm dealing with lawyers, engineers, uh, management consultants at, at senior levels. And, and I'm speaking to them like their old mate down the road kind of thing. Yeah. Um, because it's but it you. just works. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not a strategy. It's not like you're uh, using some sort of like special sales technique. No, it's just, it's just being you. And um, yeah. there is no harder thing to do for a salesperson than be themselves. But once you can figure it out, it's the easiest thing to do in the world. You know, kind of like yeah, once you get over that thing that's in your mind, that's keeping you from being completely authentic it uh and i still catch myself doing it like you know prepping for a first call with a prospect and kind of you know sliding into that more like business like no i mean it it just doesn't serve you well because again it's all going to come out in the wash right and and uh it, it's it is amazing because i've had a few leaders who have been like that who've been just 100% themselves kind of all the way around. And when you see them being 100% themselves in every area of their interactions with people, you know it's real. And then, you know, it's been amazing to me. The, the way that when somebody is just 100 all the way themselves, how easy it is for other people to open up. Because yeah. we're all walking around and we're all trying to be – you know, the best version of ourselves or put ourselves in the best light and all that stuff. And I think really it comes down to, you know, when you find somebody that's actually authentic, it's like refreshing and you're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Now I can kind of take the guard down a bit. So I think that's a great approach, man. I love that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's working really well so far. Um, and, and like same, same sort of thing. Like, you know, when, you, you ask that, that old question, like, what's your weakness? And I try and, you know, steer clear of those kinds of questions. Everyone gives you the same answer. Like, oh, I work too hard. Or, I, care too, like, <laughs> I care too much. Crap, man. <laughs> and like, I, I, I say that during interviews, like, you don't care too much. Like, give me the real shit. That's, yeah. that's what I want to know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and uh, what kills me is when you go into interviews that, are like that it's almost like a little dog and pony show like you're asking me these superficial questions i know they're superficial i know that you know my answer is also superficial but as long as it fits within the accepted list of answers i'm going on to the next round you know yeah. like i've literally been in interview situations like that and you know it's it's flawed it's flawed because we we live in a in a day and age especially in the in the sales world where like there's so much noise and so so many salespeople out here trying to get the attention of their ideal customer that 
you really you really can't afford to to fake anything if and i think if you kind of take that mentality all the way through to the way that you deal with customers and you know you're never going to tell them anything that's not true right like you're always going to tell them straight up like yes i can help or no we can't help right i mean just very blatant 100% honest you know all of that goes towards really kind of being the best possible sales professional and and sales leader right because then you're kind of creating that culture man and you're letting them know it's okay um and so you know as you uh, you know one of the things that you said earlier was you know there's been a lot of like sweaty handshakes right at the, yeah. at, at, at the end of interview <laughs> um you know why so this has always been very interesting to me sales interviews is a chance for a salesperson to sell themselves that's what that is but i know lots of salespeople that freak out and are not good interviewers so like what do you think attributes to that like i've never really understood that and you know interviewing's always kind of been another pitch for me right and so yeah. uh, it's never really been an issue and i'm not downing anybody who struggles with interviewing i mean i get it it's not an easy thing to yeah. do but yeah and and it is for seriously um and and uh, it takes a lot of courage but you know what do you what do you think that is man because i just think that's so interesting that salespeople would be nervous when they're selling themselves <laughs> yeah i i don't know man i i think it's um i think it's like a, a lot of fear like you know a lot of ego um a lot of yeah, yeah a lot of like being worried about looking stupid or giving a wrong answer mm-hmm. uh, and it's just like I'm not here, like, you know, people interviewing are not there to, to try and trip you up. You know, like we're not, we're not playing a game. We want this to work. Um, and, and, you know, we want you to be successful, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's why we're, we're spending time with you. That's why we spent time looking at your resume. It's like spent time reaching out and going through a phone screen, um, that's why we're investing time in this because we want it to work. And I think people just, uh, they, they don't, they forget that <laughs> and, and they forget that this is an opportunity for them to interview us as well. Like I, I yeah. say at the start of all of my interviews, this is an opportunity to make sure that we're a fit for you as much as it is. Um, if, if you're a fit for us, like don't forget that drill us, ask us tough questions as well. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, like you spend so much time at work, you spend more time at work than you do at home. So if it's not a fit, then don't do it. Like, let's be real about it. Don't just do it for money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think especially it's important for salespeople to realize this because you're a valuable, per, you know, part of a business, like a sale, a good salesperson you deserve to feel like you are at least on equal footing with whoever you're you're interviewing with right you you may even have the upper hand and and i think it's very important to realize that and and i you know when you said that earlier come to think i never really thought about it like that like hell yeah this hiring manager wants this interview to go well because then he's got one less you know role to fill right and so nobody's out to get you you know there's uh, and, and, you know, I think some of it maybe comes from maybe some of the ways that salespeople are interviewed, right? So I've been to these like large group interviews 
where you oh. sit in a huge circle, you know, and then you get called off in like twos or, you know, one by one or in groups. And then you go do some sort of like ridiculous role play or like cold call exercise. And so, yeah, I mean, all of that is super nerve wracking and, and maybe not the best way to hire somebody in general. Uh, you know, I've never liked the idea of like, let's get a bunch of salespeople in a room, herd them in a room and then like knock them out one by one, you know, until there's five left, you know, and, uh, that's a nerve wracking experience to begin with. And then, you know, you mix in having to actually just do a regular interview, you know, I can see why people struggle with it. Um, you know, with, with the folks that you've interviewed that, uh, have done well, right. That have kind of come across well um you know are those people that you so you know one of the things you said was the aptitude really isn't a problem right like if you're green you've never been in sales but you have the right attitude and you're good cultural fit great we can make this thing work um so those people that that have fit the culture and you're and you're bringing them on you know i have to believe that the fact that they were able to conduct themselves well in an interview and sell themselves has got to make you feel good about their ability to sell whatever you're going to have them selling right yeah uh, that's that's part of it like coachability is the biggest thing for, mm. for me um you know our, our process is like a little bit different a little bit you know uh less atypical and so if i can coach someone on that i really back the process because i know it works like i've been doing it for years i know it works um, so if they're open to, to being coached and, and are able to implement feedback and take it without ego and know that it's coming from a place of care because you want them to be better, that's like the most important thing. And the way I, I get that out of, out of my interviews is I'll do a on the spot role play. Like show me, show me your sales process. Are you okay to do it? And I don't care if it goes well. Like I, I, the first one, I just want to see what, what they've got. Like show me how you do things. What I'll do is, is I'll stop and I'll say, um, this is what I loved. These are the things that I, that I think could be improved. And this isn't like, I haven't come up with this HubSpot do this. Mark Roberge in, in the sales acceleration formula, he's teaching this. Yeah. Um, so I'm just doing what, what, you know, the, the, the gurus before me have done and on the second one, the second role play, I'm looking to see how they implement the feedback. Most yeah. of them will get it wrong horribly. But the fact that they try and they're not just like doing the same thing shows that they're coachable and shows that they're open to, to receiving feedback in a really intense, um, potentially very nerve wracking environment. <laughs> and like, I respect it. I respect every single person that does it because that's hard work. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that is hard. And, and, but I think it's an important thing for a salesperson out there that's being put in scenarios like that to realize the motive behind it. Again, it's not just to make you uncomfortable. It's not just to make you sweat. It's to find out if you're coachable, which is one of, you know, the most important thing to you, right? So there's a method to what you're doing. And if they know that, if they know that, okay, when I go into a sales interview and I get role, you know, put into a role play situation, 
and then they're going to give me feedback. It's really much more about how I take that feedback and implement it the next time over whether or not I do a good job on the role play at all. Right. It's, it's like, so yeah, I mean, I think that's, it's very valuable information, right. For, for sales leaders that are hiring, you know, if you're not already doing this type of thing to, to kind of pull out some of these truly important skills that aren't readily, you know, obvious when you're going through like a standard boring ass interview, you know, um, and, and getting canned answers. I, I've never understood that. You know, you go through an interview process of canned answers and then you find out in 60 days, th this is not the person that you wanted to hire, you know, whereas if you take that time and I love that you kind of have this habit of like writing lists because I'm a huge fan of that. Like, physically putting it in front of me and you know like what's important to me not just uh, you know because I, I also know sales leaders that say things are important to them oh well culture is important you know culture is you know really important but they're not doing anything in their interview process or in their management of the team to really that really maps back to that so you know as as you have grown in this in this role uh, you know one of the things that I wanted to touch on so you are you are building a sales organization that is fluid with marketing customer success and sales right so you want everything yep. to kind of be very non siloed which I love when you're looking for your folks that are growing on your team that you're adding to your team you know, are you looking for somebody who obviously is going to kind of be able to work with those different departments? Because, you know, that's not typical, man. And, and um, very easily sales and marketing and customer success can become siloed, even if it's not intentional. Yeah. Because you're kind of yeah. working different parts of the customer journey. And so, you know, I talk to us a little bit about why, why you're taking that approach of kind of these no walls and, and how that influences you know, your hiring strategy for the sales side? So the reason I'm doing it is, uh, like I said earlier in, in our chat, um, it's to produce better outcomes for the customer. So if I, if I have all of these customer-facing organizations, and, and let's be real, marketing and, and customer success, uh, components of sales, uh, just the different areas of, of the customer's journey, yep. um, if I've got all three of these departments, which should be pulling in the same direction, actually doing it, then the outcomes that we're going to produce for the customers are going to be exponentially better than, than anything else. Um, and, and that's how you differentiate. That's how you create a category of one. That's how you don't have competitors is when you produce the best outcomes for your customers. I mean, it does, it, everything else is, is just noise. Um, I love that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's super. It's super important in the hiring process to make sure that you have people, which um, once you recognize that they will change the dynamics um, of the team and of the office and, and stuff like that. It's important to understand how and how you can mitigate and make trade-offs um, for for the things which may potentially negative negatively impact because like it's, it's it's almost impossible that you're not going to get that any friction and tension so it's a case of like how can i create an environment where i can best appropriately manage that tension 
Um, yeah. And and the the way the best way I've found to do that is through something um, that was uh, you know I saw implemented at Health Engine, um, and I've seen well I've read about it being implemented about a bunch of successful um, companies as this idea of radical candor. So mm-hmm. just creating an environment where it's you know you can speak to another person openly and frankly and know that it's coming from a place of care and a place of love and a place of um, just producing the best outcomes. No, yeah, I, I love that idea of, of radical candor and, and creating, you know, because you're right. I think maybe when people think of a organization where sales and marketing and customer success are all truly pulling in the same direction and, and be, have like a symbiotic relationship, um, you know, they think it has to be utopia. Well, no, like y- you're, you're going to have friction and you're going to not yeah. see eye to eye because marketing people don't see things the same as salespeople and customer success don't see the same thing, you know, things the same way as marketing. And there's reasons why they're separate and there's reasons why they easily become siloed. But fostering that culture of just radical candor everybody can have an opinion and if we don't agree that's okay we we've developed a system to where we can logically work through these things and and end up on the other end of it still being one solid team pulling in the same direction i that that's dynamite man and and i think you know you're absolutely right like that is how you create a category of one I love that because if you think about these outliers, these companies that we think about, you know, the Amazons of the world, the apples of the world, you know, that that's it. Their customer experience is, is the only reason why they're like that. Um, I I think it's very interesting because now we live in a world where, you know, Amazon's not even the most convenient option all the time for me but I still will buy something off Amazon uh, because I'm used to the customer experience. I know that all I have to do is pull up the app, find my wish list, and swipe, a, swipe the thing over, and then it's on, on its way to me, right? Even if I know I can go five minutes down the road and get it right away, it, it's all about the customer experience. And so, you know, I think lots and lots of companies and therefore sales organizations customer experience is nothing new. Everybody's always talking about it. But I find it very hard to believe that companies that have siloed customer facing organizations truly are concerned about their customer experience. Because if they were, they'd be doing what you guys are doing, because it makes complete sense. It's not rocket science. It's almost common sense. Like, you know, if we want to create the best experience for a customer, we all need to be on the same page, man. I love that. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting and, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get it right and I'm not going to get it right all the time. Like, you know, we're, we're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to drop the ball. Yep. But it's about owning it and it's about, you know, being mature and having that, that emotional intelligence, um, <laughs> to be able to say, you know what, Hey, no, my bad. How do we move on from this? Emotional intelligence is the number one trait for sales professionals in 2019. Yep. I think if uh, I could take that audio clip and just put it on repeat for everybody, 
emotional intelligence is the number one trait for salespeople in 2019. It's so true. It's so true. You, uh, because, you know, I think I, I know some salespeople who have kind of existed as professional salespeople. They've kind of been jerks, but they've always kind of coasted off the fact that their numbers are strong and they're bringing in the revenue, right? We are now no longer, there are enough sales professionals out there that are doing it the right way to where you won't be able to survive if you're like that. If you're thinking that it's only just, you know, surface level, it's not, man, <laughs> you know, and I think I'm, it, it makes me so happy to hear that there's leaders out there like yourself that are truly taking what they've been through and all of the experience that comes with being in sales in the different roles like you've been and, and not just defaulting to the same way it's always been done, you know, because I think that happens a lot too. Like, even though you have 10 years of experience and even though you know all these things to be true, you kind of just default to the way that they've always done it. Right. And so kudos to you, man. I think, I think, you know, you're, you're building something very special out there. And, and so as we kind of get to the end of the, the hour here, talk, talk to us, you know, how, how can somebody get in touch with you about what you guys are doing over there? If they've listened to this and they want to join the team because they think you're such a rock star of a sales leader and I wouldn't blame them. How can they, you know, get in touch with you, man? Uh, easiest thing to do is, is probably just hit me up on LinkedIn, Samuel Ingram, Samuel, S-A-M-U-A-L, because my parents like to make my life difficult and make me spell it out every time. Um, <laughs> or just, or just uh, flick me an email, Samuel, S-A-M-U-A-L dot Ingram, I-N-G-R-A-M at gmail.com. I love it, ma'am. I love it. And, and uh, I have to ask you the same question that I ask everybody that comes on the Lunch Break Podcast, man. Where is your favorite place to eat lunch? So there's this, uh, this place. It's like a little hole in the wall joint. Um, a little bit of a walk from my office called Lord of the Fries. Ooh, and, great name, uh, first they, of all. Uh, it's, it's awesome. Uh, they used to only have, like, they, they only ever had stores in Melbourne. Um, and I used to go there every time I was there. And uh, it was just like the nostalgia of being there because I was over there like playing poker or you yeah. know, watching sport or whatever. And then they opened a store here. and It's still good, man. It's like, it's, it's, all, it's all vegan. Um, oh, cool. Uh, like, you know, fake meats. Um, yeah. yeah, cue the hippie jokes. But yeah. uh, it's the best, man. I love it. <laughs> no, I love it, man. And, and, you know, it's so funny because there's been a few places that people have mentioned uh that have been vegan and they're not like those folks aren't vegan they just really like that restaurant you know and and again i think that goes towards you know creating a good customer experience right it doesn't it doesn't freaking matter if it's fake meat or real meat if it's a good place to hang out and they, and it's good food that's all that matters right that's it man that's it i love it i love it well sam thanks so much for coming on the lunch break podcast today dude i i i feel like i've i actually have a few people i need to talk to that are searching for a job <laughs> just give them some insight before this comes out man because you 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 really uh you know anybody that's out there listening to this kind of in that job hunting mode you you've helped them out a ton man Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. And um, thanks for having me on. I, it's, it's awesome to be able to uh, have the opportunity to connect with, with, with like-minded people. 
all the way across the world, man. That's the beautiful part about uh, LinkedIn. You know, it's it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon here, and you're you're such a rock star. You're doing this thing at midnight, man. So I uh, truly appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. And with that, I'm going to wrap up the Lunch Break podcast. Speak to you guys soon. <laughs>